I'm excited to be with you again. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about letting love in. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a pretty divided world. And sometimes it seems like uh, the good old U.S. of A. is just as divided as anywhere else. And we've got a lot of finger pointing happening right now. And we've got a lot of uh, judging one another and questioning each other's motives going on in our country right now. A lot of division. And if there's anything that's going to save us, it's going to be love. It's going to be love. And Jesus came to teach us how to walk in love. And I don't know about you, but for me, religion has actually kept me from that goal in so many ways in my life. Uh, Growing up in church, there was a lot of finger pointing amongst the churches. And then I actually served as a pastor in local churches for almost 20 years in various roles in ministry. And let me tell you, the finger pointing behind the scenes is is every bit as bad as what we see on Facebook. (laughs) All right. Uh, We like to scapegoat one another for the problems that we face rather than solve them. But Jesus taught us to live in such a way that we're not scapegoating one another. We're not pointing fingers. We're not blaming each other. We're pulling together. You see, the Spirit of God always turns us towards one another, not away from each other. And so let's talk this morning about letting love in. I think one of the reasons that we let ourselves get so divided is out of fear. But 1 John has something to say about that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, when I read a passage like that, the old religious alarms start going off in my head, saying, See? The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. So there's something else you ought to be doing. Some other way you should be trying harder to do better to get it right. That's not what God is saying to us at all. What God is saying to us is, will you let me love you so fully that it sets you free from fear? Brennan Manning is one of my heroes. He was a Catholic priest who had a dramatic encounter with God Um, He wrote an autobiography that was released after his death, confessing to the fact that while he was writing best-selling Christian spiritual living books, he had struggled with alcoholism that entire time. I actually went to see Brennan once. Uh, He was going to be speaking at a church near Birmingham where I lived, and I was so excited. I couldn't wait. And I got there early, me and my family, and we went, and we sat down, and we couldn't wait, and Brennan never showed up because he had been carried to the hospital the night before and had to be flown home immediately that following morning due to his health concerns. He ended up very incapacitated due to his alcoholism. But you know what his autobiography was titled? All is grace. All is grace. That no matter what he'd been doing, no matter where he had been, no matter how in so many ways he felt like he had failed, that grace And love had been with him the entire time. I remember hearing him say once that when he got to heaven, he expected God to ask him one question and only one question. 
Now, when I hear something like that, again, those religious voices in my head say, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you do better? No. The question Brennan expected to be asked was this. Did you really believe that I loved you? Did you really believe that I loved you? Because when we embrace the love of God, it deals with all the other junk that we struggle with. When we embrace it, when we let it be our own, when we take ownership of that and, and, we, and we embrace it so fully that it leaks, it sets us free. Very quickly this morning, I want to cover four quick things about the love of God. Number one, divine love finds us. We don't go looking for it. Jesus told this incredible story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep goes AWOL. One of those sheep goes off into the dangerous country. And what does that good shepherd do? Not the bad shepherd. Not the shepherd who says, well, he got himself in his own trouble. But the good shepherd. Leaves the 99. Now y'all, that's a bad business decision. If this is your empire, is this flock. And you walk away from the safety of the herd... To go pursue that one. Why? Because the one matters just as much to God as the 99. I had a t-shirt I really wanted to wear this morning that says God loves the black sheep too. You ever feel like the black sheep? In my mind, that one who wandered off is the black sheep, right? At least in the, in the eyes of the world. Walking away from the 99, doing things that are maybe a little bit rebellious. Going out on their own way. That story doesn't make any sense until you're the one who needs somebody to come after you. But that's what God's love does. It absolutely makes no sense until you're the one that needs it. But love seeks us out. You know, Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. He was a religious leader. He was important. He was... Uh, an educated man. He knew about the Scriptures and the current thought about God. But Jesus blew his mind by saying, you've got to be born again. Born of the Spirit. Now, most of my religious upbringing, I thought that was about praying a prayer and saying you were sorry to God and you know, promising God you were going to try harder to do better for the rest of your life. But lately I'm starting to think that being born of the Spirit is simply gaining an awareness of how loved you really are. See, God's love for you has always existed. It's been there your entire life. There has never been one moment when you were separated from the love of God. But you didn't always know that. And there had, uh, there had come to all of us in this room, I'm hoping and praying, an awakening of how loved we really are. When love finds us, love seeks us out. It's an awakening to the reality that you have been fully known and fully loved the whole time. On your worst day, there has never been a moment of your life that you were unloved. On your worst day. Secondly, after love finds us, love heals us. Love heals our wounds and makes us whole. The Greek word that we translate in English, salvation, 
literally means wholeness. You ever feel like you just got this gaping wound inside? You've been hurt by somebody that you cared about and you've been wounded. This world will wound us. And we need to be healed. But divine love heals those wounds. It makes us whole to receive salvation. And y'all, I don't, I'm, I'm starting to think it's not a one-time thing. I'm starting to think that I need to be made whole a lot. Not because I'm broken. And listen, I don't want anybody to think of themselves as broken. But we've got wounds that have been inflicted by this world that we are constantly in need of healing of. And that's what it means to experience salvation is to be made whole from those wounds. But God's truly unconditional love heals the damage done by hate and injustice. It breaks the power of insecurity. It sets us free from the expectations of others to finally become in public who we've always been on the inside. Sometimes this awakening, this being born again, sometimes it happens all at once. We're overwhelmed by the extravagant love of God and it shines through all the pain within. But for others like me, I'm a little slow, y'all. It takes time. It happens gradually. For me, it started at an altar at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene near Dayton, Ohio when I was seven years old. I heard that God loved me. Now, I also heard a lot about fire and hell. And so it just put the fear of God into me. And so I dealt with a lot of fear and religion. But the, the process started when I heard about the love of God. A huge shift took place for me when I was about 12 years old. I died on an operating table near Dayton, Ohio. The anesthesiologist either gave me too much medication or I just had a bad re- reaction to it. And I flatlined. I was gone. And while I was lying there on that operating table, I had that stereotypical near-death experience as a 12-year-old moving through a tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel was light. And it was the most brilliant, beautiful light I'd ever seen. And the closer I got to the light, the more I realized the light wasn't shining from just something at the other end of the tunnel. It was a being. It was the love of God in flesh. It was a person radiating this holy, purifying light. And the closer I got to the light, the more I realized how completely known and completely loved I was. And I knew that everything I had done... Now, y'all, I was 12 years old. There's not too many important things that I could have done by the time I was 12. But do you know what I knew? In that light, I knew that my life mattered. That everything... I had done up until that point and would ever do matter. And I also knew that my life wasn't over yet. I woke up in a hospital room thinking all of that had been some crazy dream brought on by medication until I heard my mom on the phone talking to one of her friends about how they had lost me on the operating table and used those paddles to bring me back. I had an encounter with the love of God. Now, Again, went right back to church, went right back to religion and heard all about, yes, God loves you. Now earn it. Now try harder. Now do better. 
We ran in some pretty legalistic church settings back then, so I was immediately dragged back into a religion of trying harder to do better to make myself acceptable with God. My entire local church ministry, more than 20 years, was a tug of war between knowing the genuine love of God and trying to convince everybody they had to earn it. Until one day, I started walking around the track at my local gym. When I got on that track, I believed that God was going to send some of us to burn in hell for all eternity. And that billions of people throughout history have been excluded from grace because they didn't say the magic words. And 30 minutes later, when that walk was over, I had been so overwhelmed by the furious love of God. And I knew with every fiber of my being that there is room for every single one of us in the heart of God. And more than that, I knew that there had never been a time that we had been separated from God in any way. See, when I was growing up, I kept hearing in church that God was omnipresent, right? God was everywhere. Let me ask you a question. How can you be separated from someone who's everywhere? Our own theology doesn't make sense. The reality is, uh, my understanding today, there's room in God's heart for every single one of us. And our lives are about making room for God's love and letting it fill us, again, to the point that it leaks. That we become contagious. We hear a lot about being contagious and viral in our society today. Let's be contagious with love. Let's be contagious with hope. Let's be contagious with life, abundant life that Jesus calls us to. A life lived in love. Love finds us. Love heals us. Love keeps us. The temptation is to believe that while it's love that rescues us from that illusion of separation, that it's our rule keeping, our church attendance, our personal faithfulness that keeps us whole. Or in salvation. But nothing could be further from the truth. You are completely and totally loved. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Good news. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You. Oh, please hear this this morning. If you don't hear anything else, hear this next line. You are at home. In the embrace of God. You're at home. It's the place our souls long for. I I imagine it like a child crawling up in mom or dad's lap. Yeah, we've got four kids. Jackson's our youngest. He's nine. And y'all, he's a handful. Um, some of y'all have had the pleasure of, of meeting Jackson. He's, he's awesome, but he's a handful. There's times when he fights. There's times when he yells. There's times when he bites, when he kicks, when he screams. There's times when he does all those things. But then there's those sweet moments when he just crawls up. Nine years old, crawls in the bed with mom and dad and just wants to cuddle for an hour. We had that experience last night. I wasn't quite ready for bed, but when the nine-year-old says, why won't you cuddle me? You put the sermon notes down and you cuddle. 
I imagine it like crawling up in the arms of a loving parent and just getting your ear as close to God's heart as you can. You know, I think God loves it when we tell God what we want. I think God loves it when we say, oh, would you do this? Would you do? I think God loves to hear what's on our heart. But there's just something special about a child crawling up in their parents' lap and saying, what do you want to do? Because my agenda is just to be with you. We don't have to do anything. I just want to know you. I just want to be at home in your love. I want to be at home in your embrace. It's where we belong in the embrace of God. God keeps us in divine love. And no matter how far we roam, we can never go so far as to escape God's love. There is no performance required on our part. Just be who you really are. That's enough. Live in love and love will move you. Live in love. Just live loved. Just know that you're loved. You know what gave Jesus ministry the authority that everybody talks about throughout the Gospels? People look at Him and say, we've never seen somebody with this kind of authority. Do you know where that authority came from? Well, one day... Before he'd ever done any miracles, before he'd ever preached a sermon, before he'd ever done anything to draw the notice of the people of his day, he presented himself for baptism. And when he stepped into the river, what happened? A voice from heaven said what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And for the next three and a half or however long it was, his ministry, he lived out of that identity, knowing he was loved. By his father. I, I want to ask you a question. But I don't want you to hear this with any guilt or finger pointing. That's not my intention at all. How much would our lives change if we just lived out of an identity that knows how loved it is? If we just believe when you got up in the morning, I am loved. I don't know about you, but I, I hear a lot of voices that play through my mind telling me all the things I've done wrong, reminding me of every mistake I've ever made, all the pain that I've ever caused. Uh, for me especially, after 20-something years of ministry, I have so many sermons that I preach that play over and over again in my head that I know just added to the distance between people and God. All the people that I pointed fingers at, all the people that I told them they were excluded from grace, and I'm so sorry those. But do you know when I take that stuff to God, do you know what God says? What are you talking about? That's not how I think of you. When I look at you, all I see is love. And so I'm learning day by day to live out a love, that identity. And it changes the way I interact with my spouse it changes the way I interact with my kids. And I don't have it together. If y'all are looking at me for answers, you're in trouble. But that's my goal. I don't, I don't have a lot of goals anymore. My, my one goal for 2020, my son, my nine-year-old, who's watching on Facebook right now, hates it when I say 2020, so I have to say 2020. But I don't want to get hit when I get home. Uh, but 2020... My goal is to see as many sunsets as possible. 
Because I find peace there. I encounter the love of God there. It's like God hung that in the sky just so I can go, wow. Wow. I watch sunsets as an, as an act of faith. That even though I have no idea how the sun comes up and goes down, that when it slips from my view tonight, I have faith that it's going to come up again tomorrow. It's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. Just to behold that and be in awe of it. My only other goal is just to just to love my family better. To love my wife better. To not have stupid arguments that are about nothing. And y'all, I'm, I'm a master at that. My wife right now is saying amen. First time she's ever said that to me during a sermon, but she's saying it right now at home. Yes, you are a master at that. I want to love my kids better. I, want to, I, just, I just want to love people. But loving people doesn't happen because we try harder to love people. That just makes you frustrated. You ever try to love somebody you don't like? It's hard. Some of y'all know exactly who I'm talking about. You're like, oh yes, let me tell you the story. <clears throat> but we can get so full. We could be so uh, full of the received love of God that it just overflows. That's what I think he's talking about when he says, my cup runneth over. It just spills over. Have you, has your cup ever been so full that it just leaks and just pours over into the cups around it? That's who we are. And yes, we've got cracks. We are cracked pots, absolutely. But we are loved. In whatever state we're in, we are loved. Finally, this morning, love finds us, love heals us. Love keeps us. And love never leaves us. As a pastor over the years, I've had the distinct honor of being in the room when several people have taken their final breath. Sometimes it's easy to sense the presence of God in those circumstances. The last person that I watched die was an elderly pastor's wife. She died surrounded by her children and her husband. They were there, they were singing hymns, they were praying. Y'all, I wish you could have been in that room. Because it literally felt like Jesus himself came and took her to glory. I mean, it was a sterile, small, cramped hospital room. But it felt like heaven in that moment. There was something so sacred about that moment. When they said to her, it's okay. It's okay, you can go. And it was like Jesus just came. And she was gone. And there were tears, but they were happy tears. We were rejoicing. It was exciting. Her funeral was like a revival service. I wish they could all be like that. The very first person that I ever watched die was drunk and speeding in a tiny little car. I was heading this direction. His car was speeding this direction. He was going so fast, one of his tires blew, and when it did, he jumped into the lane right behind me and hit the car behind me head on. I pulled over just to see what was going on, waiting for paramedics. The police got there first before the paramedics arrived. He's convulsing in the street, and I asked the officer, can, can I pray with him? And, and the officer's like, you can pray, but he's done. 
I remember sitting with him on in the middle of the street as his body convulsed and he breathed his life. And even in that crisp night air with this man who passed away intoxicated, the presence of God met us there. And I remember in that final moment, right before he breathed his last, just this sense of peace that just... And he was gone. And then there was an older gentleman. I've, I've never shared this story before. Um, he was a big, burly man. He had lived life very much on his own terms. He saw very little value in the things of God. He had a heart attack. His heart stopped beating. They used the paddles and they brought him back. And when he sat up, he immediately had another heart attack and flatlined again. They brought him back, but the doctors told his family, his heart isn't strong enough to sustain rhythm. We can't keep doing this. You're in your final moments with your husband, with your father. Again, tough, big, burly man. He didn't see a lot of value in sentimentality. His son told me that he did not remember his dad ever telling him that he loved him his entire life. And that second time that they brought him back, he sat up and there's this look of terror on his face. And he said, they're coming for me. They're coming. And as if they didn't even hear him, his family immediately just started gushing. They knew they were in their final moments. And they started saying everything that they ever wanted to say to him. And let me tell you all something. That family's love, it was really, it was his wife and his son. And their love healed him in his final moments. Instead of being struck with terror, he began to be at peace. And this man who didn't see any reason for sentimentality his entire life wrapped his arms around his wife and said, I've loved you so much. And he looked at his son and said, I'm sorry that I couldn't tell you how much I loved you. I just never had a dad who did that for me. And their love healed him. And that man, when his time came, just a few minutes later, when that heart stopped beating for the very last time, he met his maker in peace. Now y'all, there is no logical explanation for a few minutes earlier sitting up saying they're coming for me as if some nefarious agents were about to drag him to hell. And him finding peace. I mean, his final moments, you could see him look up and you could just see astonishment and a smile. And then he stopped breathing. The love of his wife and his children set him free from fear. Perfect Love casts out our fear.
Life is an exercise in letting love in. It's a beautiful mess of trial and error and risk and successes and failures, all inviting us to trust that we are completely and totally loved. Once we receive that revelation, our fears and insecurities are disarmed and we can take the greatest risk of all, letting ourselves be known. Letting our love be known. Speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Looking for the best in those around us and not the worst. Look, uh, when we're comfortable with who we are, we can love people where they are. This is the abundant life that Jesus told us about. A life that is so rooted in our own belovedness that we can spend our life caring for the needs of others without a need to prove ourselves or hold grudges. We can walk in peace and constant grace because we know that we are loved. Two quick stories and then I'm done. Brendan Manning, who I mentioned to you earlier, He had just come back from speaking at a major Christian conference, thousands of people in attendance. He had spoken about the uh, unbelievable love of God. People's lives had been transformed. He got back to New Orleans where he lived, and rather than go home to his wife, who he was having marital strife with at that time, he went to the bar. And he got hammered. And he kept ordering drinks right up until the bartender said, "Uh, we closed 30 minutes ago, you're going to have to leave. As the bartender went to call him a cab, Brennan stumbled out the door and collapsed into the street. Um, I don't know how historically accurate, but there's a scene in a movie that was made about Brennan's life. The movie's called Brennan. It's brilliant. I love it. That shows him stumble out the doors of a bar and collapsing onto the street. He wakes up the next morning covered in his own vomit and urine. And a little boy walks by looking at him. And the boy's mom says, don't you look at him. Don't you even look at that filth. Drags him on down the street. The boy's holding two hot dogs. Apparently he was hungry. Brennan sits up, tries to clear his eyes. The little boy breaks away from his mom and runs back. Offers him a hot dog. What's your name? Brennan sitting up, still clearing his eyes, still clearing his mind from the haze of the night before, covered in his own vomit urine, has the sense of spirit to say, I am the one that Jesus loves. What he captured was God's heart. It isn't dependent on anything that we say or do or believe. God just loves us. Just loves us. I love that Reckless Love song. It's, it's one of my favorite songs. I've probably listened to it two or three hundred times since it came out. There's one line that I wish I could change. I don't deserve it. Because guess what? You'll never have to. You'll never have to. And religion will use... That mindset of God loves you. Now act right. Now get yourself together. And it will just lock you into a frustrating game of religion for the whole rest of your life. You are loved exactly as you are. I remember during a particularly 
drama-filled chapter in my life, saying to God, why doesn't anybody love me for me? And you know what God's answer was? How could they? You've never let anybody see the real you. And isn't that what we do? We hide who we really are and then wonder why nobody loves who we really are. But when we embrace the love of God, when we believe that we're loved, when we let love in, y'all, I can be me, cuss words and all, and it doesn't matter where I am. doesn't matter where I go. I wish I could always do that. It seems to come and go, depending on how loved I'm feeling at that particular moment. But do you know what's true? No matter how I feel, the love of God is mine. And I'll never have to earn it. And I'll never have to deserve it. You are loved. Religion told me God's love was unconditional and then laid out all the conditions that I had to meet to keep it. Unconditional love is real. It's real. If you have to pray this prayer to be in the club, that's a condition. If you have to attend this church rather than that church to be in the club, that's a condition. If you have to... um, Read six chapters of the Bible a day and spend an hour in prayer every morning in order to be holy, that's a condition. But if God loves me no matter what, that's unconditional love. And that's the kind of love that's going to change me from the inside out. It's not me trying to fix myself. It's knowing I've been loved the whole time. And that is a love that will change the world. Amen.